1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Mike's on. He's ready to go. On the fan. New York Sports Radio. Mike's on. Mike's on. He'll get you the sports and way any he can. It's Mike friend of
2: All right, a little after six, come your way on this uh, Thursday evening, the 28th day of May, as we say goodbye to what has been another crazy month. Casamigos Tequila, as always, brings you the program brought to you by those who drink it on this uh, kind of overcast, a little windy Thursday. Looks like there's some warm weather ahead of this weekend. Might get a little rain. Then it should be pretty nice for the weekend as the temperatures start to kick up uh, near 80 degrees Uh, On a day where we get another cancellation, that being the Boston Marathon, um, and that's after a long run, 124 years. So uh, that's now next in line. But as we inch a little closer here, the problems that a lot of us warned about for baseball are right there. And, you know... It's logical you're going to have people choose sides. Someone's going to say, hey, let me look at it from this agent. He's going to give me this information. And then someone's going to say, let me look at it from the owner's standpoint. and They can't lose all this money. All right, and we get into opening books, which isn't going to happen. We get into talk of all different kinds of things like salary cap and revenue sharing. And that's not going to happen. We understand that. But the owners, who are a very crafty bunch, and they know how to paint this, are going to do the same thing again, and they're going to use that to their advantage here. See, the players aren't wrong, but there's not going to be anybody in this climate on their side. Nobody. Do the owners have more money than they let on? Yes. Do they create, basically, costs that they have to pay see when the owners own a franchise and then borrow money to improve the stadium open different revenue producing of you know things around the stadium whether it's things for the fans or uh, amusements or restaurants or walkways or whatever it may be any real estate development done around the stadium always produces revenue they can borrow that money and as they pay it off, say, hey, here's my, these, this is my cost of doing business. Well, it's not all your cost of doing business. What you've done is you've enhanced your overall value of your asset by borrowing money and using that to improve the asset. It would be like you taking out a home equity loan and then saying, hey, you have to pay it off. See, I bought the house originally for 300000 and I've owned the house for many years, but I just took out a home equity on it because it's appreciated to the point now that it's worth a million, and I took out a 500000 home equity, and now you have to pay for that. Well, why? You didn't need to take that out. Well, yeah, because I had to do this, I had to do that. I had to put a new bedroom upstairs, I had to do this, I had to put a pool in the back, I had to do this, I had to do that. Same thing. It's asset enhancement but creating short-term expense. And that's what they call their costs. But they're not their year-to-year costs. They're their overall costs. So when one of the agents goes into great you know, depth about this, like a boris as an example, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. But it's not something that you're going to be able to sell to the fans because they don't care. They don't want to hear that. What they hear is, oh, you can't play baseball for three months at 7 or $8 million. There's 42 million people out of work, but you can't base baseball for three months, 82 games, until next October for $8 million, and you're complaining. I would do that for, and that's what the sentiment is. And the owners know that's there and they can't lose. So the players are between a rock and a hard place this time. Are they wrong in their economic fight? No, not on a basis of what's real long term and what's not. They're not wrong. I had somebody explain that, saying that to me, say, listen, you know, you got to understand. I said, yes, I, I, it all makes sense. Owners won't open their books up, their franchises are worth a fortune. The Atlanta Braves, the one team that has to open their books up because they're owned by Liberty Media, made $476 million in revenue last year and $432 million the year before. All true. There's revenue streams that they don't even let the players even know about. You know, Bam Tech was something that they made a fortune on. They didn't give anything to the players. Of course not. Streaming, they won't give anything to the players. No. What the players should try to do here is get what's best for them. Let them find a way to get their side, to get the union, to realize it can't win this fight. I mean, coming back and offering to play 100 games and then say, well, the players really want to play more games. No, they don't. They want their money. Their part of going from 82 to 100 games was we want to be paid in full, minus the April-May agreement. It's not going to happen. The owners aren't going to agree to that. And they don't think they have to to win the fight. They're not going to agree to that. As a bunch of owners have said, I'm not opening my books. I'm not opening my gates to just let the players in and losing $150,000 every two weeks. Now, based on all their expenses and paying full tilt on salaries, they would be losing that. Because that's based on 100% of the revenues. It's not based on... Thirty-eight or forty or forty-one percent of the revenues, whatever would be able to get their hands on this year. We don't know exactly what that would be, but what would be better for the player association is to try to realize that you're not going to win this fight this year. Try to get into the other pools. So make a bigger inroad into the. Larger post-season, post-season revenue pool now. Make an inroad into the streaming pool of revenues. Making an inroad into the gambling, especially on site gambling in the future years. On that pool, there are pools that of revenue that are going and revenue streams that are going to produce a lot of money in the years to come. That the players are cut out of. Start to. Introduce a way to get into those this year. And I think the owners would allow that to happen if they could find a way to not have their their year this year or their unlucky season with this pandemic come back to clobber them. Now, that was their first offer. It was extreme. I'm sure they have one that's more to the middle. But it's not going to be, oh, we'll add 18 games a team and we want all our money. Well, that's not going to work. That's not going to fly. And if the players are adamant, like Ashurza has said, that don't bother if we don't get all our money, well, then let's go home now and just stop talking about it. See you next season, hopefully. You're not going to have spectator sports for a while here in this country. As we start to inch open, remember, we still aren't even open in our city yet. New York City is a week, two weeks, whatever, still away, maybe more, from opening. We're only in phase one in a lot of areas, and we still have to wait to see what the kickback is as far as whether the virus kicks up in certain areas around the country. We have to wait and see if that happens. We'll know more in two or three weeks from now. And there's always the wait or the thought of what comes back when the cool weather comes back in November, what happens then, because there's already been talk about that, which it may be lessening already because of the heat around the country, and now it's going to kick back up in November. Who knows? We don't know if that will happen or not, but it could. So we might be a ways away from spectator sports and from any spectator events, whether you're talking about concerts, movie theaters, Broadway plays, any spectator sport, where you crowd people into a building, elbow to elbow, row to row, thousand upon thousand, we are a ways away from that happening. We're probably, we will see a vaccination before we get back to those days. But that doesn't mean the sports can't go forward. It looks like the NHL will. Sounds like the NBA will. Now, they have different, you know, they can pretty much say goodbye to their regular season, which the NHL already has. Say goodbye to almost all of it, which is what the NBA proposal seems to be. Baseball's trying to start a season and salvage a season. Not easy to do. And obviously, without a lot of its revenue. But at least being able to produce something in the way of revenue, helping out their broadcast partners, whether it's radio, whether it's cable, whether it's local television, whether it's national television. The tiers of broadcasting. Well, really, there's even more now because you can go from gambling to streaming all the way through every other level to radio to cable to over-the-air to network and realize there's money to be made in each step of the way. Maybe even if you're going to play in these stadiums, maybe some signage to be involved. Maybe some creative ways to produce a little other revenue in some other areas. Something innovative. Who knows what it might be. Somebody will come up with something. Whatever it might be, though, you're still going to edge this close to where you might, if you're lucky, produce somewhere in the high 40s compared to what they would produce in a normal year maybe 40% of the revenue, 45% of the revenue, something like that. And they have to be able to create a system that does not dabble with a salary cap, which we know that is something the players don't want any part of. And the owners understand that. They understand the semantics of that. But they are in a better place here because the owners are always in a better place. The guys who are the foundation... The guys who are the uniforms, the guys who are the stadiums, they are always, always the permanent part of the 100%. Is it a 50 50 partnership? In essence, sports is. It really is. Year to year, it really is. Players don't get to deal with any of the appreciation of a franchise value. But as far as year to year revenue, they are partners. Matter of fact, the players should actually get a little more than fifty because of the fact they don't get anything from the value of the franchise. So if I buy the franchise for X and I sell it for X plus you know sixty percent of X or eighty percent of X or two times X or whatever it may be, they don't get anything in that and that might be not for a generation anyway. And all the things that have been done off that, all the write-offs that have been done off that, all the money that they've been able to take out on loans and give to partners, which is done all the time to create cash flow. All that's done all the time. There's so many creative ways for these franchises to do that. The players don't get into that part of it. What they do is they get into the revenue part of it. But the permanent part of the partnership the stadium, the team name, the team's history, the uniform. That's the side that the fan rea- reacts to day in, day out, year in, year out. That's the part that is civically owned, also. That's the intrinsic part of this whole thing. The player part comes and goes. The player goes to another team, the player retires, the uniform stays. The stadium stays. the history stays the emotions, the baggage, the ups and downs and good days and bad days they stay they're the value that the fan gets they're what they, that's what they hold sacred, and that's why the player for his part never is held in the same esteem. There is always the case of a very popular player, we all know that, who can win that battle with very few, very few. The whole idea of what's permanent, the permanent part of the franchise, is what's sacrosanct. And that makes this a very tough... Thing for the players to sell to anybody and they got to realize that. So they are between a rock and a hard place here. That doesn't mean the owners can't lose. They can because they need to play. They desperately need to play. They don't need the sports shut down. And that means the players, they still need the players to find a place where they're happy and productive and ready to go back to work. And we aren't there yet. And will they get clobbered here? You've seen ex-players who are now on television kill both sides. Of course they do. Would they have that opinion if they were still in the union, still playing? No, they wouldn't take that opinion. They're not in that anymore. So they have a different viewpoint. They have the viewpoint that we share. When we look at it as you greedy You can't play for this many millions of dollars after all the money you've made, after all the tickets I bought, after all this. That's the part that the player can't win. And nobody wants to hear about, you know, some rich player who can't play for X number of million this year and takes it as an insult and acts like you're basically, that he's the victim when there's 40 million people out of work. And a lot of people, you know, lining up on car lines to get food. And not to mention a hundred and some odd thousand dead and a bunch of others sick. It's a hard sell from that standpoint. What they want is they want the game back. They want the game to have something to take away the thought of another day like they're going through right now. They'd rather have a couple hours to spend with their team. They don't want you to take that away from them, and they're not going to forgive you if you do. And they don't care what your plight is this year because they know that you have a gift and you live a life that they only dream about. That's why it's a very, very hard sell. Back after this. All right, we'll get to the calls in a minute, but first, a couple things. Number one, uh, every night we look at the date for the day in the career of uh, Bernie Williams and Mickey Mantle. Bernie's, this was uh, May 28, 95. Bernie was off to a terrible start. I mean, he was dropped in the lineup. He was, after the day, he went one for two. He had a homer, knocked in a couple of runs. He was only had four homers, 14 RBIs, and was hitting 194. Now, on the season, he wound up with a pretty good season. This was ninety-five. One of the not as good as some of the other seasons around it. 1882, 307. But he was hitting one ninety four. His on base percentage was under three it was two ninety-eight. He was really struggling. He did his fourth home run here, which was, you know, very light and only had fourteen RBIs, which was not very good after playing two months of the season. So he was off to a very sluggish start, uh, but looking to start to come out of it a little bit. For Mickey, it was back to 1957 again. Uh, They beat the uh, Red Sox, and Mickey went four for six, he had two doubles, and raised his batting average to just a very quiet 371 with an on-base percentage of, yes, this is true, 519. So an on-base percentage of 519. And... A batting average of 371. In those middle 50s, there, he hit 353, followed that up with a 365, hit over 400 from the right side of the plate in some of those years. Remember, he'd get up a lot more left handed than righty because there's a lot more right handed pitchers. Plus, he was a guy who elevated the baseball left handed, hit it more of a line drive. He had more power righty, but hit line drives righty. Uppercut the ball as a lefty hitter. Wasn't as good a hitter from the left side, uh, but would hit a lot of home runs from the left side because he uppercut the ball and also obviously playing half his games with the porching. You know, his pop-ups went out of Yankee Stadium to the right field. Um, But when you count the walks, you start getting into these on-base percentages that are just absurd. You know, think about it. 519 on base percentage means you know you're getting on base somewhere between two and three times every single night, every night, every game. That's that's a lot, it really is. That is a lot. You know, you're getting up five times in a game, you know, you're getting up four times, you're getting on twice, you're getting up five times, you're getting on. You're getting in on five, you know, going three, getting on base three out of five times. That's outrageous stuff. It really is. Now, NFL today, a couple things. They tabled the kick proposal. You know, it got a lot of steam the last couple of days. Introduced by the Broncos last year, they said no. Introduced by the Eagles this year, the idea of figuring out a way, you know, the onside kick, when you were looking for expected onside kicks, not unexpected onside kicks, when you were looking for expected onside kicks, Late in games last year, it was virtually a zero. I mean, the numbers were that bad. So it was 10% overall, but that counts all onside kicks, including the ones that just fool people. They're not set up right, where they're dropping back, looking for a return, and somebody fooled them with an onside kick. When you talk about expected onside kicks, like, hey, get your hands team on the field. It's late in the game. They're going to try an onside kick. It never worked in the last two years, I mean almost zero. So you thought maybe they would do something. This also, if it had worked, now you couldn't have tried this in the preseason because it's just not enough games and enough good games to give you as an example. You would have to try this, to be fair, you would have to try this for real without getting rid of the kickoff because if you didn't like it, you had to bring the kickoff back. So you don't want to get rid of the kickoff completely. Instead, you would have had to try this for about two years for real. And they decided not to do it. I would have given it a try. I think, I think it was there. I think it would have been exciting. I don't think anybody was going to abuse it. They wanted to put it into a limit of how many times you could do it in a game, but I don't even know why they had to. Nobody's going to do this a lot. Nobody's going to give you the ball on their 25-yard line with regularity. So remember, the ball's in the air. It's a third, fourth and 15 play, so it's coming back to the line of scrimmage be a couple of times where the ball's caught and it's, you know, at the point of where a guy's tackled. But for the most part, it's going to be incomplete passes when they're, not, when they're knocked down or they're batted out of bounds or whatever. So that ball's going to come back to the 25-yard line a lot of the time. Instead, they said, nope, we're going to stick with the onside kick where their heart is not in the onside kick anyway. Because when they made the safety rules, and they even made more safety rules this year, so when they made the safety rules and disallowed the way you could line up certain things, you took away any ability to, to actually make that a recovery play, and that's why it's worthless right now. So I thought they might go with this way, they didn't. Um, they closed the, the the timing loophole that was utilized last year by New England, utilized by uh, Tennessee against New England, has been closed. Also, three players can return from IR instead of two during the season. So now three players can return from IR, which there actually should be. I think separate levels of IR. I think they should be allowed to bring a player back after six weeks, one after ten weeks, and one after twelve weeks. But they haven't gone to that mechanism yet. I think eventually, uh, if we get to a roster expansion, that might happen. All right, let me get some calls before I, uh, you know, before too much longer. Let me see. I got a list here, so let me jump on. Let's go. All right, Ed Madawon starts us off. Go ahead, Ed.
0: Hey, Mike, how are you?
2: Good. What's happening?
0: Hey, I'm. I'm curious. Do you know how these contracts are structured between the uh, cities or states that fund these stadiums?
2: It depends. Everybody's different. Everybody, everything is different. There's not one kind of uniform contract between a team and, and a city. It's it's different in every place. Some people own their stadium. Some people lease them from the city. Some have sweetheart leases. Some don't. It depends. It's very different team to team. There's no one way of doing it.
0: Yeah, but what, what you're saying before, uh, the owners and the players are in a 50-50 partnership. Well, shouldn't it be really a third, a third, a third? Because the taxpayer's... Under
2: well, they do in some places. They don't in other places. But no, it's not, it's not that way. Uh, and if you want to say they hold them hostage, they do. See, my point is the players, they talk about now it being a 50-50 partnership between player and owner. It is on, mo- on, on about 80% of the revenue. It's not on 100% of the revenue. But what they don't get is the advantages that the owners get from ha- by enhancing the asset which the owners a lot of times borrow money to enhance the asset. And that's where that cost, they want to turn that back to the player and, that's, and a lot of times to the taxpayer, and that's not fair. And that's what they get away with. And It happens in both places. So I, I understand your premise. It's not a bad one. Listen, I've been against, uh, I've been against any municipality being publicly funded Uh, any stadium being publicly funded in professional sports forever. Thanks for the call, Ed, because these leagues have enough money, especially football and baseball, that they can lend the money to somebody who wants to build a new stadium in a city. That money should come from money that is lent from the players' union and lent from the league. Now, the league does give money to people – they do allow people, I think they are, uh, NFL does allow, allow you to borrow $150 million to build a stadium. So I, I think it's 150 it might even be more now. It used to be $150. Uh, but they should be more. And the players' unions should be also lending money out of their uh, pension plan because it shouldn't be up to the cities to produce these things, but they hold them hostage. They, how they always held them hostage was, hey, I'll move the franchise. You know, George used to say, oh, I'll move the franchise somewhere. He wasn't going to move the New York Yankees out of New York. What, are you crazy? He wasn't going to really do it. You could have called his bluff. He wasn't going to do it. But, you know, if he could get you to do something for him and get him to give you a sweetheart lease or jump through. So whatever team it was, oh, I'll move him somewhere else. Well, you know, everyone used that as a threat after the Giants and the Dodgers. And they obviously, you know, O'Malley, he was smart enough to jump to L.A. He got a sweetheart deal in L.A., and he actually found a pigeon in Horace Stoneman to come out with him, who signed a terrible deal in San Francisco. So uh, he needed someone else to play out there, so he dragged him out there. And he didn't make the money that O'Malley made. John in uh, Monmouth Junction, what's up, John.
1: Hey, Mike, how you
2: doing? Good, what's happening?
1: Um, I wanted to ask, I know you were talking about the Braves and like they're public, so they have to announce the record. Well, yeah, they're
2: owned by Liberty Media. They're actually a public stock, so they're actually part right. of a, that, so their money is actually, the books are open for the Braves.
1: Right. So my question is, what about the profit that they're making? Because this is right. a business valued on like the revenues. Minus well, the it's very
2: tricky to get to a single profit number based on one year because a lot of times there are write offs and there are loans that are over certain years. So I can get you the revenue. I can't get you the absolute profit that they made because there's things that they... See, But the player's point would be, we shouldn't be worried about that. We shouldn't be... your, Your profit should be, here's what you take in, here's what you pay us, the rest is profit. What you do with it is your business, but that's not what the teams do. The teams will use other things that they buy and they lease or they pay a uh, interest on loans that have them building things around the stadium or enhancing the stadium or doing different things. And they will write that off against their profits. So all you can go with is revenue and the Braves revenue, I think for 19 came out to, if I remember right, $476 million, which is a lot.
1: But like to use your home equity loan example, it's similar. Like, you take that home equity loan and improve your house. The bank will only give you a loan based on what you're making, your job. Say you lose your job. what you then have to cut yeah. the cost? Because you still have to pay the bank. Yeah, but it's different. That's it, what it, the owners are saying.
2: It's a little di- no, it's, it, 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 no, no, look at it this way. There's no there's no cutting the cost. Here's what what's going on here. The owners have a fixed cost this year. And a lot of it's from stuff that has nothing to do with the everyday business of baseball. That's what the players are saying. So don't include us in. And we shouldn't have to pay your expenses. Plus their other part, part is, and this is actually a very good argument on their part, You don't, when you make a big windfall, when you make $200 million profit, you don't say, I had a great year. Here's an extra million dollars a player. You don't give us anything. So why, when you have a bad year, do we have to share in the losses when we never share in the profits? Understand?
1: I think they do, though. Don't the salaries go up No, no,
2: year? no, no, they don't. No, they don't have to go up every year. No, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, baseball salaries, I believe, have been pretty much a constant for the last four years. The Braves' salaries, the Braves' revenues went up enormously in the last two years. Now, I didn't say they're – I didn't say they're uh their cost of players didn't go up because they did because of the fact that they added better players because they tried to compete and they had young players who became stars and they went out and got some other big players to compete, which is why their revenues shot up because they became a playoff team. But if they make a big profit in a year, let's say $150 million versus this year, they make 80 million. The players get the same money. So if they make an $80 million profit or they make $150 million profit, there's no different salary to the players. The players' money is fixed. They get the same money. So the players are saying, well, wait a second. If you have a year where you actually – you have an asset that is a long-term asset. If you have a year where you lose money, if I don't get the profit from the year where you make big money, why should I be involved in your losses if you have a bad year? And it's a fair point.
1: I hear you, but I think the other side is, like, you talk about the Braves and the Yankees, I get it. But what about, like, Tampa Bay?
2: Listen, not every team... Yeah, Yeah, well, Tampa Bay... Listen, Tampa Bay is a... First of all, the the guy's brilliant. He's one of the more brilliant businessmen in this country to make that franchise even work, okay? Uh, He's a guy who's an incredible businessman, and he has done an incredible job. And he keeps his salary, he keeps his player costs as low as he can because he doesn't have the revenue streams of those other teams. Absolutely not. You're right. He's What he's doing is he's probably on most years, and thanks for the call, losing money. But what he's got is he's got an asset that is still appreciating. He's a rare case, though. Because he's got no revenue streams, and he still puts a winning team on the field, which is very rare. The Braves went from being a bad team to a good team, and you've seen the difference. Because now they're making a lot of money, drawing a lot of people, and they've created a very good business around their ballpark. But the point is, the, uh, the agents will say, and it's not a bad point, but the fans don't care about it. They're saying owners want to privatize the profits and socialize the losses. So players, we want you to share in our losses. We don't want you to share in our profits. That doesn't wash. That doesn't wash. But right now, getting into all this, and the only team we can get into it with is the Atlanta Braves because they're the only one that will make their books open. They have to, by law, because they're a publicly owned company. They're owned by Liberty Media. So they have to do it. They have no choice. But otherwise, it doesn't work. So from that standpoint, it's a little more complicated than, than just adding up what players make and adding up what the revenue streams are. There are other costs, and a lot of those costs are costs that the players will say, you didn't have to do this. You wanted to do this. You're making money long term, and you're enhancing your investment long term, and you want to write that off against us. Mark and Rockland, what's up, Mark. Yeah, I actually believe that there's a perfect venue for a, a, a test bed, if you will, to test capacity and, and infection rate and all that. With all these unemployed people, I'm sure you can find a few hundred thousand guinea pigs that would be willing to sit in 10,000, in a 40,000 capacity stadium, 10,000 people, separated, masked, let them go watch the games. You got a free ticket, you pay for concession and parking or a $10 ticket, and you follow the data. You, you have the perfect place where to test what can you what actually happens when people get together. All right, but let, let me ask parts, you something. With, with science, sure. I, I think Mark and I, I this is not an area I have any expertise in, but let me say that I would think a scientist would say to you, "I need you to repeat that a hundred times for me to get an accurate reading. I can't do it off of one one sample. So you would have to do it's that one sample, yeah." Well, well, wait a second. 30? Yeah, well, yeah, the problem is, what happens if all of a sudden you have re- uh, virus breaking out all over the country because you tried this? Again, you're, you're well. I, 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 yeah, but you see, but you have to get the, You have to get these cities to agree to this. And what is the, and and what happens when it, if it doesn't work and people start getting really sick in big numbers? What do you say then? Good question, I, but yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that's why I don't know that you can get – see, I understand your premise, and your premise isn't wrong. But the point is you'd need to do it over a – and thanks for the call – you'd need to do it probably over 100 or 200 cases. You couldn't use one case as an example, and it would be good if you did it over a wide geographic area, so the whole country. I like the idea. I'm sure you're going to get volunteers to do it. But I think these cities are afraid of an outbreak, and they they're afraid – You know, you're not going to help them when their hospitals overflow. That's their fear. So that's why they're afraid to do something like this. And you would have to repeat it over a couple hundred times for it to give you a real data that you could drive. Because you can't do something once and get accurate scientific data on it. It just doesn't work that way. Back after this. All right, we're back. So uh, the league today has... You just might have heard there in uh, that uh, report by Tiki, they killed the rule on adding the fourth and fifteen play, which I think made sense because here's the deal, folks. They wanted to come up with a safer play on the on the onside kick, so they changed the rule for safety reasons. I, they changed the way you line up, but they made the kick worthless because you can't recover the kick. And if you go and look at the numbers of Recoveries on expected onside kicks. Not unexpected early in the game or when you're not expecting it, that's different. If you go, though, on expected onside kicks, it's always been a lower number, as you would expect, because you, the, other, the other one, you've usually found something that is you found a hole in their coverage and you found a way to trick them. But on expected onside kicks late in the game, it's virtually, it's virtually zero now, Chance. It's virtually almost nothing. It's just, hey, let me do it because I have nothing else to do. And the odds on getting it are almost zero. So if you added a play, you'd put a little life back in the sport in those situations. I like that. I like the play. I wish I would have liked to see seen them try it for a couple of years. I think it would have made sense. And it would allow them eventually to do what they really want to do, which is take the kickoff out of the game, which is what they want to do. And either they should do one of two things. They should either take the kickoff out of the game or – Drop the kickoff back. Drop the kickoff back where you can make the guy put the kickoff or make it a rule you got to try and put the kickoff in play. One or the other. You don't have to drop him back if you want to make it a rule. You have to kick the player that there's a penalty if you kick it in the end zone. So if the guy lets it go and goes in the end zone, it's a penalty on the kicking team. You have to kick it in play. Kick it in play, then you got something. But I don't think they really want that because I think they want – now you also can limit movement and even limit blocking schemes if you want to make it a safer play, but still put the kickoff back and play. John in Connecticut, what's up, John?
0: Hey, Mike, long time listener. I hope you're doing okay.
2: Yeah, good, thank you. What's up?
0: You know, I don't, I don't own, I don't have a dog in this hunt, so I don't, I don't know any of the families of the owners or the players. I, I don't know anybody in professional sports, but the players are absolutely. 100 percent in the right here they should not take one penny less than their prorated per game amount and i can understand why they want to play more games so they get paid more money because even though i'm not a socialist i'm a
2: capitalist but
0: billionaires have been taking advantage of the world economies and continue to do that at such an alarming rate of inequality see,
2: see i i disagree john from this i understand your premise and if you're saying that the owners make more money than they let on, you're absolutely right. There's no lying about it. There's, no, there's no, no situation that's unfair about that. The owners do make more money. Now, players do make a lot of money, but the owners make more money. Now, this is a very rare situation where I think what you're missing is they both need to do something for the greater good. There's a need for the sport to come back. Find a way. you are only got 60% or 50% or maybe even 40% of the revenue coming in. Be realistic. The owners aren't going to pay you at a rate of 100% for 60% of the revenue or anything close to that. So come up with something you can live with. But understand that once in a while, you got to give back. I didn't have to. None of us had to sit there and give money back to fan, but we did. We did because it was the right thing to do right now this year. Because, you know, it was a point where, yes, everybody has to do their part. So the owners should do their part right now. Make them do their part and the players should do their part right now. So there should be some giving on both sides, and you should get the game on the field. I They might not, and I'm not asking the players to do all the giving. I think there has to be give on both sides. Both sides should sacrifice, and they should be able to get it done that way. And if they can't, shame on both of them. But I understand your premise of why you think the players are in the right. I, it's not about right or wrong here. It's about... Both sides understanding that this is a rare circumstance, and they both have to do what's for the greater good. It's bigger than either one of them right now. That's what they're missing.
0: It, but, Mike, Mike, the owners own the politicians in America. And so if you look back at 2004, the American Well, why are you
2: making it about politicians right now, though? It's not about politicians. It's, no, it, I'm
0: not, I, it's not about the politicians per se, but what I'm saying is, is that an owner, right, when he buys a baseball team, say he spends a billion and a half dollars, he has a $100 million write-off on that investment over the next 15 years. So if he has a $100 million... But, John, John,
2: everybody that does business in this country gets breaks for doing business. There's no if, if Chase Manhattan or somebody wants to stay in New York or not stay in New York, they say to New York, we need a break, or then we're not staying in New York and go to New Jersey. Well, they give him a break. That's what happens with business in every state in this country. That happens everywhere in this country. People who own the business get breaks for doing business. That's cause they because the thing that the politicians dealing is jobs and they want jobs now these are a little different jobs okay because you're talking about rich players but that's where the owners can place it on the players and do you think Somebody's going to have a sympathy for one year if Mike Trout makes 8 million versus $36 million this year. Anybody cares? Do you think a guy out of work cares? He just wants to see baseball. He doesn't care that Mike Trout only makes 8 million this year. He can, he's figuring Mike Trout can get by on 8 million this year. Okay. Now, is it right that Mike Trout only makes 8 million of his 36 million this year? I can understand where you can make the point. It's not, but the point is, they can should be able to come to a happy medium where they can both get by. They both have to sacrifice. That's why you make the owners dip into the pools that the players don't usually participate in. That's the way you get them to give a little. That's how you get get them to give a little, and you find a happy medium. And again, it's easier in this country, and thanks for the call because we have to go, but it's easier in this country to make the player the villain, because the fan, the, the citizen, finds that easier to understand than he does the owner. He can comprehend owners owning businesses because we all deal with people who own businesses. But what he can't comprehend is somebody saying that they're a victim if they're only getting $8 million to play 80 baseball games. That they can't understand. Now you can say, "Well, understand it, because here's what the revenues are." Here, he doesn't. The fan doesn't care about that. The fan wants his baseball, and he doesn't care that the player takes a haircut for one year. He doesn't care. He really doesn't. So that's what the owner is going to try and work off. Is they know the sentiment falls with them. Are they are they right in their argument? No. Are they fair in their argument? No. They're not fair in their argument. They are trying to take advantage of the players. I agree with that. But I want to see both sides have to give. I want the owners to open up streams that they don't usually open up, and I want the players to give in some areas and the owners to give in some areas. Casamigos Tequila, as always, brings you the program, brought to you by those who drink it. We'll see you tomorrow.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours